Well, the way I see it, today's show will either simplify some things or make them more complicated. It's kind of a toss-up. I'm Alex Green, and this is Stereo Embers, the podcast. Are you intrigued? All right, stick around. Check this out. Man, let me go away and come again another day. I'm sick and tired of Tuesdays. Wednesdays could be better. Sitting in the office, I'm aware when it's Thursday. Woman and Friday. which featured my guest today on the program, Steve French. Let me tell you a little bit about Star Club and Steve French. Well, first of all, what needs to be simplified, you're probably wondering, and how could things get complicated? It's pretty simple. This is the continued postmortem of a band that I've explored over the course of several episodes of the show. Now, bands break up all the time. Big deal. But a band that signed the most lucrative contract for a debut album in the history of Island Records and then called it a day after only one record? That's not so common. The album in question is Star Club's 1993 self-titled debut album. When the album hit shelves here in the U.S., it was all I listened to. The single Hard to Get, which you just heard, remains my favorite song of the 90s. And back then, I didn't get how it wasn't the number one song in America. I still don't. But the bigger question about Star Club is what the hell happened? These were childhood friends who shared a dream and a love of the Beatles and a clear vision for what they wanted for their band. How did they only put out one record? Admittedly, I've been obsessing about this for years, and the singer Owen Weiss is a close pal of mine. And we've talked about it. We even did an episode of the program where the bassist for Star Club, Julian Taylor, appeared with Owen and actually... I was pretty satisfied with the sonic autopsy that we did because it did provide an explanation about how things went down. But then the guitar player, Steve French, reached out to me and asked if he could have his say about the whole thing. And I said, absolutely. And you're about to hear that chat. Steve's a lovely guy. Very honest, very humble, and very cool. So did this conversation simplify things or did it make them more complex? You tell me. What I will tell you is the mystery continues. Or does it? Maybe it all makes sense now. Let's find out together by continuing to piece together the story of Star Club. So here's me and Steve French having a chat right here on Stereo Embers, the podcast. 
myself, like, I'm compelled to reach out. Um, but then I, like, checked myself and said, like, what is it that I want? And um, like I said in the, in the note, it's certainly not anything to do with kind of putting the story straight. I don't think that very many people care about that. But, it, I, but I thought that you brought up some really interesting points that I wanted to kind of, exp I thought that the conversation was worth expanding. So that's why I wanted to reach out. I think that there's a, a community of damaged people in the world and we're all, we all have something in common, which is we're all ex-musicians and divorces don't just happen. They happen because of shit that goes on behind closed doors and when someone gets to the end of the rope it's like that's why divorces happen and um, i know that i know where you were coming from i'm not calling you out on that i'm just saying that there's there's a lot more to the story and i hope i don't spoil your um the um your sense of uh i know that you enjoyed the the stock club album but i don't want to spoil the um the undercurrent of that so i just want to give you my story and see what see what you want to do with it yeah for sure and i'm i'm quite interested in it um and and when you say calling me out you mean in terms of of um my understanding of the story or no not at all when you said sometimes i think it was your 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 preamble on the on the one that i listened to was sometimes divorces just happen right and and I'm saying well, they don't just happen. They happen because of shit that goes on behind Got closed it. doors. That's, that's what I thought you meant. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Now, I mean, I, I should tell you that my, and, and I think this is true for a lot of people, Steve, is that the, the undercurrent, here, here's how I see it, is that for a music fan like myself, someone who does not, um, I mean, now I'm in a position where I, I, I peel, peel back the curtain. I see how, how Oz is being run, but when I when I um, was just a music fan and I wasn't um, hosting a podcast and I was a kid and an album like the Star Club album comes out, my relationship to it is one that's based on on a romantic idea about it, right? Sure. And it's probably not grounded in any kind of truth. Right. And I think that a lot of times people create these um, universes <laughs> that are based on there because the the music is landing in such an emotional way that you create this kind of vision even the video for hard to get made me think those guys are like this this is where they live this is how they do things um and that probably like, none of that is true because it's all made up right. in your brain right I mean, that's why we like books that's why we like movies that's why we like right. old music it's all this this creation and that's uh um and we, we would love to think that the that there's more to the music than just the music. We have this, like, we have this, this desire to um, pull back the curtain, to use your analogy, and see what it is that um, you know. We wanted to read a book about Picasso. Is that the point of Picasso, or is that just like what's the interest there? And it's, uh, I don't think we can help it. So, and I don't think you're unique in that. We all have these fancies about musicians and the artists that we love. So. I was I was in a I was doing a session once. I, I moved to New York and lived there for twenty five years. I was doing a session once with a guy, and it turned out that he used to be in a band that was cult at the time. But it, it was cult before he realized it was cult, and people would it was in the goth genre, so it was quite quite a niche thing. And people would come up to him for years later and say, "What was it like to be in a cult band?" And he said, "It sucked. We just couldn't get any attention at all." And it was only afterwards that this kind of mythology started to grow around. It wasn't actually there, but it grew around this, like a mold, I guess, grew around this, uh, his band. And um, people wanted to know his story. I'm like, oh, it sucked. We had no money. We got no attention. No one turned up to gigs. And now you find that the, the cassette 15 years later 
And you want to know how awesome and romantic that was? Do you really want to know? So it's uh, like, I think that there's so many people, like everyone has the same story. And that's why I wanted to kind of have a, have a chat with you because, um, you know, one of the partners that I work with, he's a, he's a dance composer and a, a producer. And he didn't get to uh, experience the things that we did, but he, everyone is damaged to, to, a, to a greater and lesser degree. And, and it's curious how we let that happen. And with a community so damaged, um, you know, why there isn't kind of more awareness about that. I think you're bringing up something really, really interesting and really powerful and important. And I, and I will say that the first thing you're talking about is something I've been struggling with for a long time, which is <laughs> if you love Picasso, you probably shouldn't read a book about him because he's a real monster, right? Mm-hmm. Um, if you love someone like Woody Allen. Woody um, Allen, yeah, the great, right? great example. Yeah. Right. Who who I love. I mean, I mean, my yeah. my whole comedic sensibility as a writer um, was informed by by his work. Um, it hasn't aged well, right? Um, there's an academic exercise that they do where they think like, um, you know, you you read a book by say, um, I don't know, it doesn't even matter who, but you but you read a classic and and in some schools of thought they don't want to teach you anything about that person's life. Um, Unless you're a biographer, I would imagine it's probably important. Sometimes people are people are kind of curious. Um, but if someone gives you a passage from Mein Kampf, I think you should know that Hitler probably wrote it. <laughs> that seems that seems fairly important, right? Um, but I don't know. Do you need to know everything about Descartes? Do you need to know everything about, um, you know, Bertolucci? Do you need to know everything about a band? And 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 the, I've struggled with this because I I'm always curious about the people who make the art that I love. And sometimes when you peel back the layers, you're not so pleased with what you found. Then you have a problem, which is how do you separate the art from the the biography and the details of the biography that may be unsavory? And and that that it just I think it's case by case, to be honest with you. Yeah. Well, I think that you would be more informed about that than I would, since you've got such a kind of a, um, I don't know you, um, uh, but you. You've got an edu at the end of your um, email address so i'm guessing you're something to do with education um and that you've the fact that you drive this podcast and explore music you're clearly eloquent and intelligent you have a you have a curiosity to to dig a little bit deeper and does it satisfy your you know, what is, what is the itch that you're seeking to scratch when you when you read a book about bertolucci or Mm. Um, reach out and, and talk to Owen and Julian and, and are curious to talk to me. What, what is that itch? And, and do you find it satisfying? Because if, if you do, then it's worthwhile. It's like, it's not for me to say whether you get a kick out of it or not. It's, um, I, I, I don't like going on tours. Sometimes I do. It really depends. I don't know if there's a hard and fast rule about whether you go on those audio tours in, in art galleries. Should you be told how good a painting is. Um, I, I don't know. You, you might, it might deepen your understanding and the education of the process or the times the person lived in would help deepen it. But if you don't, I don't know, is it a, is a picture a 2D thing or a 3D thing? I, have, I don't I know. Have... You know, you ask a really good question, which is like, like, for example, not very much is known about Freddie Mercury because he, Freddie Mercury was very careful um, not to give a ton of interviews. I mean, he didn't really, he was fairly private. Um, and the, the, his whole, the whole, you know, the, the hedonism that he was living, that didn't interest me at all. Like that's whatever you do, you do. But in terms of his artistic predilections and the mystery of his gift, not a lot of it is known. 
Um, I went to the Picasso Calder exhibit in San Francisco a few months ago. And this, is, this will answer your question, then I, then I wanna really get into you, is that um, Calder was a huge fan of Picasso. And at one point he had even invited- Calder, that's not the guy that creates the mobiles, is he? Yes, exactly. Oh, okay, yeah, exactly. all right. Yeah, and I didn't know much about his work and Calder at one point had invited Picasso to an opening and he and the, the letter was there that he had written to him in his own hand. And I thought that was cool. So yeah. to answer your question, some of the biographical information to me is fascinating. Most of it does nothing but further me from the work, but there are little bits of it that I really like. So I, I wanna just talk about you now. I wanna, you were saying you refer to yourself as an ex-musician. Do you not, do you not play anymore? No, you're, you're the guitar player. You were the guitar player for Star Club. I was, yeah. And you, so, um, you know? It's a habit that I've been, um, yeah, it's like drinking. Yeah, every now and again, I fall off the wagon, I pick up a guitar again. Um, I did purge all my guitars about six or seven years ago, and I didn't play them. They were in storage forever. Um, some of them had bad memories. Some of them, I, I pursued it for a while when I was in New York. The Star Club was um, far and away the best opportunity that I had. So, um, after that, it's a little bit, it's a little bit tough to decide where to go. Anyone who has, I'm going to tie it back to mental health again. Any, anyone who has early success in any career, I'm like, oh man, that sucks. Cause there's like, where do you go? It's uh, like a, a young, like go to Fanning or um, some, some Billie Eilish, like you have got to have some really solid help around you to keep you from not going out of your mind. Um, so, so I did my thing. Um, I stopped playing forever. Um, I became a single dad quite um, soon after I got to New York, and um, so that kind of consumed a lot of my time. And there was uh, there was not really a whole lot of time to to see if I could earn some money playing guitar. Um, so I put those away. Um, then I got them out again, and they had too many cobwebs. They were a young man's guitar. Sold them all. Um, I bought myself a couple of really nice jazz guitars um, a few years ago um, and have played solo jazz gigs. I've got a, I've got a beaten up nylon string that I love playing some like Brazilian jazz on. I've got another, um, another I've got a couple of D'Angelicos, which I really like. Um, and so I have a kind of a refined taste, but in a, in a niche and I play it purely for, purely for my own enjoyment. Every now and again, I might do a gig in a restaurant or I've been invited to weddings to play and stuff like that. It's uh, it's a, it's a hobby. And you moved from New York, you did move back to London? I was, um, I was for work, I had to come to Manchester just at the start of the pandemic to, uh, to hold down the work. I'm still paying child support. My kids are, um, they're both at college. So, you know, I've got to, I've got to keep it, I've got to keep it rolling. So I, um, there's no, uh, no more bohemian life for me, uh, but it's it's all good. Love my kids. They're doing great. I'm doing great. I'm happy to be here. I'm happy to be employed. I've got my art on one side and I've got my, my work on the other side. So I'm in Manchester. Kids, um, my wife and my, and my dog are in Costa Rica at the moment. My kids are in Boston and Connecticut and I'm in Manchester. It'll, so the pandemic's been tough on, on everyone. And thankfully everyone's healthy, but it's no one's remained unaffected. Yeah, yeah, thank God. And for work, you are, what industry do you work in? I work in the, in the creative, uh, in events field. I work for a creative agency that puts together the media for, um, for 
virtual, real, and um, hybrid events. So we do, we create digital media. You you listen to Julian and Owen on the podcast, and and they sort of I like having them both on. Um, I've had Owen on a bunch of times, and and Owen 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 is a friend of mine, and he I like that they were both there to sort of verify. It felt it felt authentic to me because it felt like. Owen would say, isn't that right? And, and Julian would, would either say yes or eh, maybe a little bit differently. But for the most part, it seemed to line up. Yeah, um, and, um, and I was pleasantly surprised at how much it lined up with what, what I remembered as well. I was thinking, okay, okay, how much of this is going to be like totally skewed? But um, again, like 90% of it was exactly, and I enjoyed, I really enjoyed listening to the podcast, not just what you brought out of them, but um, yeah, fond, fond memories as well. And they're still... Um, yes, we got divorced, but they're still we still have a lot, a countless time. I, you know, they they brought up stuff that I can remember, and I'm sure I'm going to bring up stuff that they probably can't remember. It was um, it was a bit of a blur, and it was a it's a it was a significant it, it's a significant lump of time that we spent together, but yeah. an even more significant. Um, but the significance of that time was it was even greater than the proportion of time that we spent in our lives together. It was uh, I think we've all been. Um, hugely affected by the um by what we did together even if yeah. even while most of your listeners will never have heard of us you know what i'm talking about we spent like i don't know what it was 10 or 15 years hunkered down trying to do a thing and uh, you uh, when you're in a foxhole with someone uh, yeah you do you deepen the relationship that's very true and you guys were friends since you were 11 is that right is that well, I was uh, I was thinking I was uh, I didn't really do much preparation for this because I wanted to see how you conducted your podcast and trust that you knew how to kind of prompt conversation. But I did want to kind of have a think about what I um, some of the milestones, and I we weren't really friends until word got around that Julian's into the Beatles, Owen's getting a guitar, Steve can play like yesterday now or blackbird or whatever so suddenly all of a sudden the three of us had this thing in common um and we're like let's do this i think owen was definitely the the um the smartest guy i've ever met and you know, maybe the laziest person i've ever met as well and i'll tell you some good stories about that later um but he was the he was also the most prolific reader and the, and the only one of us and the only one that I ever met in our hometown that had the vision to say, if any, if if they can do it, we can do it. I was like a small town guy, and I um, Owen had the balls to say, "Fuck it, we let's do this." Like he was trying to write. I remember spending some time with him around his house, working on like a rock opera. And we were freaking fourteen years old. Like, I wouldn't have done that had I not met him. And so he was a he was a driving force for this to be a vehicle. And he knew that he couldn't do it on his own. And he got, okay, well, Steve's got a guitar and Julian's got this going on. And, and so there was this sense of, it was almost arbitrary. The point is it was almost arbitrary how we came together. There was this sense of, well, you can do that and you can do that. It's like getting married just because you're in the same room together. Mm. Uh, you were in the same t-shirt. And then um, and then you just stick to that plan. And you know, we, we quickly developed a Kind of an internal culture which was self-reliant uh, or maybe codependent depending on how you look at it and um, we didn't question it again until 10 years later I think. so that was a long way of saying were we friends at first i don't think we were i think that we became friends as soon as we realized we had a common interest in a 
like we were the only three people that were interested in music. Let's form a band. Let's do it. I'll see you on Saturday. Boom. Every Saturday from then on until 12 years later, that's what we did. And at the, at around the time you were 10, 11 years old when you guys first Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I think it was, um, maybe, maybe 13. It was just before we went to secondary um, at tech schools. So I would say 12, 13. Yep. Yeah. And the city that you guys grew up in, this is all in if you've spoken to me yeah if you've spoken to uh, owen he would have uh, he would have mentioned our hometown maidstone in southeast england yeah which for the listeners is a little bit outside of liverpool is that correct or is that not at all no it's in the it's the opposite direction it's south of london if south you of london. It's, yeah it's in between london and where you would take the ferry to france it's in the hmm. other south southeast corner got it and in terms of your own guitar pursuits and your musical pursuits were your parents um, encouraging for you to go the direction or were they concerned? Um, I remember the first time I asked if I could get a guitar. Um, this, this is a, a nice uh, a recollection of, of how di different people see things differently. I, I told my dad that I wanted to get a guitar and he said they're the most, they're, most of the things on the secondhand market are guitars. Now his point was anyone who buys a guitar eventually wants to sell it. My understanding of his comment was, "Great, let's get secondhand guitar." So, um, so I, you know, me and my dad never, never understood anything um, the same way. Um, but I don't know. I, but then again, I don't think he didn't encourage me to get fish either, because I would have to clean the fish tank. So, um, mom encouraged everything I did. So they, they weren't, they weren't musical, they weren't creative, um, they weren't. Neither of them went to college. Kind of a pretty humble home. Owen had um, intellectual parents and um, Julian had um, academic parents as well. Uh, I think I had the humblest home. I do think that when people get together and they find there's a common whatever, whether it's athletics or it's music or it's art, I mean, I think that's how you find each other anyway. And, and I feel like that it, there is something really organic about that, where it's like, even though um, like you were saying, like, oh, you know, I, I play this and I play that. Let's let's start a musical team, as it were, which becomes a band. Um, there is something really beautiful about that. I mean, I think that a lot oh, of times that, right? For sure. I, I'm not denying that. And the fact is we did a lot together. Um, the point I was making when I said that we came together arbitrarily was that it, um, unlike any other form of relationship which develops organically based on how, um, how well your personalities gel, this was got this had little to do with that and everything to do with the me the mechanics of making a band work mm. um, we did we did end up spending an incredible amount of time together and developing in jokes and developing like activities and and energy together but i guess i was um i guess i'm saying that because i'm foreshadowing the eventual turn of the conversation around to why we broke up which was that essentially we were very different personalities that that um we did the best we could with with this arbitrary, temporary glue, um, but over over stress and time, um, that was then. When you signed the contract with Island, um, Ohm was saying that it was a very large contract for a, a debut album, with the largest one that Island had offered um, at that point in the label's existence. Um, did that feel like okay, this is happening, or? Like, when did red flags start to show up for you um, 
Because I would think that's a moment where you would go, this is awesome. I think Owen was even saying that was a moment he started to get worried, um, if I remember the interview correctly. Um, something around that where it was never quite as good as that moment. But how did right. that moment feel for you? Were, were you ever concerned at that point? Well, at, at the moment of signing, um, I, we had developed, um, uh, and a conceit sounds negative, um, like, uh, like a bad attitude, but we had... Um, we had so much going for us um, in the, uh, it, again, it was one of Owen's ideas. I think that the first time we ever smoked weed together, we're like, yeah, let's become hippies. Again, like a driving force from Owen. Um, decided, let's just, let's just role play or like cosplay or something. Let's, let's pretend to be hippies. So um, we changed what we were listening to. Um, we smoked um, pot, whatever we could afford. I mean, we couldn't afford anything. So it was just like this. Um, and we made a beautiful set of demos and we got so much interest from those demos that I remember I, I dropped the tape off at EMI and by the time I got cycled back, because I was a cycle courier in London at the time, we'd already got a call from the guy at EMI saying, I hope we get you. Like, that, was a, that was a moment. I think that was probably the most exciting thing. Not only have they listened, they hope they get us. And I, I can't remember the timeline, it might have been two months, it might have been five months, but it just seemed like there was not a major record label that whoever was representing us couldn't go into and, and have come out of that meeting going, yeah, we got another offer. Mm -hmm. It was so, so they can, so I, I'm going to say it sounds conceited, but that was, that was what was happening, right? That was, you, um, there was no one that said, well, it's not really our thing, unless it was, you know, it was so so when we got signed of course we got signed there was how could we have not have got signed there was everything was pointing to that so i wasn't worried at the time um i mean we had our own difficulties through our teenage years and there were plenty of kind of personality clashes and difficult things to work through in terms of red flags in for pers um, for personality clashes but our music was I don't know, it just seemed, it seemed to be working and we didn't want to mess with a formula that seemed to be working. And we didn't know any better than, let's just keep on doing what we're doing. And, um, Owen and Julian mentioned that the company bought us um, a ton of studio gear for, um, and I think that that was the right thing for them to do because no one wanted to mess with the formula that we had. We were producing our own demos. We were doing a beautiful job. If I was a business owner and I signed a bunch of people that seemed to be doing stuff just fine, just give them a little bit more polish. Maybe we'll have another engineer to master it or engineer or something, but let's not, they didn't, Island didn't mess with us. They gave us this massive record deal and um, then they bought us a studio and then they let us get on with it until a few months after that, nothing really awesome. There was a couple of nice songs that came out of it, but um, I think behavior and boredom and self-indulgence and the ability I, i've likened it to diving into a water and swimming as far as you can like you just like swimming 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 underwater and every now and again you bring you lift your head up and you look around and you haven't seen where you are and i think that for 10 years we had been doing that and then after we got signed we came up for oxygen and i don't we hadn't checked in with ourselves um for a long, long time laser focused and we'd neglected some of the kind of the self-care that i think that we as a collective and as individuals maybe needed 
I don't know. I'm I don't I'm not educated enough to speak to those things, but that's what it felt like. Yeah, and and but you but you do know how you felt and how you feel, and I think that's um, you know you don't need to be have a have a fancy degree from any psychology department to know that your mental health is is um, sure yeah is in trouble, and and I want to get back to that in a second. Um, it seems to me that because at the time you guys were probably about 23, 24, right? Twenty two, yeah. Twenty two, okay. And um and that's a very that's a that's young. I mean that's pretty young. And we didn't feel yeah. young, we felt like we were just cruising. I don't know. It, it sounds young now. My yeah, it's funny. My son is just about to turn twenty two. Yes, it's really young. <laughs> yeah, okay, I know. Yeah. I, I think a, a lot of rock and roll is based on momentum. Um, like I think about Van Halen or I think about Green Day and I think about when those guys got going it was like they just kept going right it's sort of like here's five albums in six years here's world tours and coming back and mo the momentum just kept going and that's dangerous um, it seems like for you guys you had this enormous amount of momentum and then and Julian and Owen sort of hit on this where it's sort of like there was a huge delay um, about when that album finally came out. And it was in that sort of delay that things started to really unravel where it was like, um, like you're saying with the, the diving, it's like suddenly here you guys were with nothing to do. You weren't playing live gigs. You weren't, and you guys were a really match fit live band. Um, and the album was sort of, it was waiting to put it out. And this time suddenly was stretching out. And for young yeah, men- you didn't, come, you didn't see us play, did you? I never did. No, uh, no. I, think I only did one or two gigs in San. Where were you back in the early nineties? Yeah, I was Bay Area, so I, but I didn't. Uh, I didn't know. Uh, right, we played in '93, I think, in like the American Music Hall or something. Yeah, yeah, okay. it's a great place. You guys headlined it, right? I, I don't remember. I don't remember. Yeah, um, but I, but I would imagine for young men who are used to momentum to suddenly not have it, and you have to kind of wait around. It was torturous. Yeah, I agree 100% with what Owen and Julian were saying. Um, I think one of my fondest memories around about that time was um, I took a trip around Europe. Uh, I'm like, fuck it, I shaved my head. And um, yeah, Julian came with me. I, um, we, we just like, fuck it, let's take a month. When are you, when, when in adult life do you get an opportunity to do that? And that was just like oh god we've just we had to wait forever to decide on how we were going to do the album we were then the album took forever and then the release took forever and then just waiting around on deciding what we were going to do to tour it was uh, it was torturous i remember trying to explain to people now now it's not going to be out until the new year and it was just like what the it's we were all you're right the momentum and the energy and telling telling a kid to sit still it's bad news and i think that that's the best analogy i can think of is that you're trying to tell kids that want to get up and run that they have to be patient yeah and patience is not part of the rock and roll lifestyle when you're when you've been going at breakneck speed for as long as you were and you'd you'd reach this goal um you know suddenly you're on u2's label I, I, don't know, I don't know. Yeah, I don't know whether it was necessarily breakneck speed. Um, I don't want to over romanticize how you know we did spend plenty of time lounging around our uh, squalid apartment. Uh, <laughs> but the fact was, we were. It was that breakneck commitment uh, where we. Right. Where it was, um, there was nothing else until now. You have to wait until we have to figure out what else. Yeah, and and 
you were, I guess what I mean by that is that you were working towards something. It was always moving closer and closer. Um, Even when you're wasting time, it's still in service to that idea, Um, right? And so you guys get that deal, they wait around, they finally release it. The album um, doesn't do great, right? Mm -hmm. It doesn't doesn't do what Island wanted it to do. Um, And then things start to get weird. So can you talk a little bit about that period for you and um, mentally where you were with all this stuff at that point? Yeah, um, yeah. The, uh, there was some divisiveness with uh, with. Um, okay, so the now imagine an analogy. You know, when you're watching like this one of those old school projectors that sends red, green, and blue light towards uh, the wall, and it all focuses up, and it all looks good. Um, we were like different colors, and when we focused, we were the white light. And as things became a little bit less focused, they became like this Venn diagram of, of separate interests. Now, I had I had. I couldn't stand being on stage and I couldn't stand being in front of a camera, but I really liked being in the studio mm. um, and I liked kind of the intellectual process of of, of crafting something in a, in the digital realm that, that could be, that could be perfectly expressed what we were trying to do. And I was hungry for, to absorb as, as much of that process as possible. Um, so that's one circle of light and Owen had, um, was much more capable of, of, um, uh, Chris Hughes called it throwing a shape, um, much more able to create a presence in a room and have um, have uh, people be really interested in him. Julian was much more kind of outgoing and 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 sought out kind of subcultural um, activities and and the friends that he hung out with. He would bring home he would bring mu- interest in music back. So we 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 all had these different things that we were good at and. In, in the spirit of a Venn diagram, one would hope that there's like this collective thing and there's these individual things and then there's this, this, this it makes something much bigger. Um, but as time went on, I, I felt that there was some frustration from the others about the amount of work that I put in, to the stu- in this recording, um, which, which was a shame because I, I focused as much on trying to get, trying to learn how to get performances out of them as I did out myself um, and certainly wasn't as confident with songwriting as, as you know, my, my favorite songs on the album still are Owen's um, but Owen had Owen's songs had Owen to champion them I, I had to champion mine um, so um, but as frustrated as I got the sense that they were of me I was also frustrated with them I was frustrated with some of the behavioral um, patterns that Owen was exhibiting at the time um, I was frustrated with some of the behavioral patterns that Julian was exhibiting at the time, you know, and they were of me. So, so, um, so there was that, and then there was this, it became so intense. I became super unhappy. Um, I wanted to be on my own, had no kind of, didn't feel any kind of chemistry. And then when I heard, and then when the album didn't do well, there was this, um, I mean, if you, if I was a business owner and my investment went south, I would look for intelligent ways of cutting my losses. So I don't, I don't blame the company for doing what they did. And I think they threw a few divisive adult games our way. Um, I went to see a lawyer on my own to talk about leaving. And he said, don't leave publicly. You can still go and do your own thing. But if you leave publicly, the contract is void and they lose all, and you lose all your money. Mm -hmm. So, so, 
don't do that. Go and tell them that you're going to go and do your own thing, but don't tell the company that you're leaving. So, and I think that who knows whether the Cordells did want to sign Owen or they wanted to put a chisel into the into the band. And once once they broke one piece away, the thing was void. I don't know. I can't speak to that. I wasn't in those conversations. Um, so I'm I'm not. I don't have any information on that. But I felt like there were um, business games being played. Um, I felt unappreciated by my band. I felt like I didn't appreciate my band. Um, I wanted to go and do my own thing. It was easier not being around them. And if the company wanted to chisel me off or chisel Owen off and they weren't digging what I was doing, fuck it. Then what am I doing here? And that was, um, and that's, that's what I thought at the time. I don't think that now, but I just thought, yeah, I think this is done. I think uh, I don't see a route out other than to say, I'm going to go and carve my own trajectory at this point. I, th I think that that's, if you want to go and do your own thing with the Cordells, knock yourself out. I am not going to stand in your way, but don't tell, don't, but don't tell the company because then we'll lose the deal. And the Cordells, what is that? The Oh, okay. So um, I think Owen mentioned that it, that um, he was flown out to Ireland. That's where the Cordells lived. The, 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 the Cordells were a, an old school A&R guy whose son was a new school A&R guy. Uh, his son, Barney Cordell signed us and his dad, Danny Cordell, um, was like a, a big shot early in Ireland and signed big acts in the late 60s, early 70s, and then Got retired it. and um, raised racehorses for 25 years or whatever. You were saying that you don't feel that way now, a second ago. What, what's changed in your- Oh no, when I said, fuck it, that's not me being angry now. That's me thinking at the time, ah, fuck it, I'm what am I doing here? So uh, that was just kind of a, a, my storytelling style, just saying, um, just getting into character for a second. No, I totally get it. And I, so it's interesting because it, lo it looks to me like the, the behavior you're talking about is just 22 year olds maybe living a little fast. And you seemed like you were emerging as a bit of an introvert. Um, as somebody who was more of a sonic architect who who liked to tinker in the studio a bit and maybe maybe even liked to be alone and and preferred to be alone or preferred to work on his own. Is that getting close? Well, I, mean, I think Owen actually spent more time in his room than I did. Mm. Um, but um, so, I, and I certainly wouldn't label myself as a sonic architect. That is a fantastic turn of phrase. I'd, um, I'd love to, <laughs> I'd love to say that, but I wouldn't have the, uh, I wouldn't have the nerve. But, but in, in essence, yes, there were interests that I had that, um, and Owen was, was um, transparent and, and perfectly honest with how interested he was with being kind of rock and rolly and, and, and the interests that I had and the albums that I had, I was listening to at that point were of no interest to them and deeply fascinating to me. Um, they'll remember that I, that's when I first fell in love with a, um, with a band called Talk Talk. Uh, I don't know whether you, um, so very deep and introspective. And I, I was um, completely wowed by, by that, what he was doing. And that was in no alignment at all. There's a little bit of a nod to that on the album, but that was, uh, that was an example of the, of, of us, diverging was I was interested in different things they were interested in different things but I would say and something that I don't necessarily agree with Owen on was that he he heard Nirvana and said fuck it we we wanted to do that now we were very aligned when we were making our our demos before we got signed we were we did go in and we we did that stuff on our own 
the three of us went in and made noises until a demo came out that got us signed. Um, that wasn't anyone forcing anyone's hand. That was us creating together. So um, I'm, I'm proud of, we were about unsigned band than we were a signed band. And I'm really proud of how good an unsigned band we were. And I think that Owen and Julian would agree with you on that. I mean, they really stand by those early demos and they feel that there was something lost um, on the album, the, the sort of the, the ferociousness, maybe the feral, the raw. But I, but I don't think that there was a, um, yeah, I don't think that there was, there was some of that. And Owen certainly had the responsibility of, de of delivering his own vocals. And if he didn't feel like he sang well, that's, that's no one's, no one else's fault but his own. I took my responsibilities as a guitarist seriously. And I've, while I've had many people rightfully criticize the fact that I look like a freaking idiot on stage and just painfully awkward in front of a camera, no one has said a bad word about the guitar work on the album. So it's, um, you know, it, we, we, it was our responsibility and Owen didn't hire me to produce his vocals. It was he, between him and Chris to deliver what he wanted. It was between, um, and when Owen said that he didn't like uh, the drum programming, uh, yeah, it was tedious. It was, I remember it clearly, five days a track for 10 weeks um, programming. That said, um, Owen did most of the programming when we did our demos before we got signed. So it was a, it was a part of our process. So who was to say that we shouldn't have continued with that? Who, who was to know? And of course, we didn't have a drummer. So, right. so it, it wasn't so, the, the, the process wasn't as hijacked as I think often we can look back and go, why didn't it work? They fucked it up and screwed it up for us. We would have done this. Yeah, I think that we, we were given every opportunity to do it the way that we wanted to do it. And I think that that was a big risk on Ireland's part. And, but they did it, you know, once they were professionals and they were grown ups. They said, we've committed this money. They wouldn't have committed money that they couldn't afford to lose. They were business people. and. Some you win and some you don't, and they they gave us. The, I think that we I think that we had an amazing opportunity, and we were just weren't cut out for it. Yeah, I mean, but but I don't think deep. I mean, it's a weird question, but do you think you squandered that opportunity? Because I I really love the album, um, and I and I feel like I don't know why the album wasn't huge because I, I love it. Um, I don't I don't feel like you guys made a mistake or anything like what like in other words do you do you do you blame yourselves for no i i think that i think than that to do um you know we we weren't two-dimensional cartoon characters that go and do the, the these like animated roles of the guitar player does this and the singer does that we were human beings and i think that there's uh behind any ever since the star club experience but, uh, I've realized that behind any piece of music, whether it moves me or not, it's there's a, a lot of pain that goes into the creation of that. And whether it, there's a lot of work, there's a lot of pressure, there's a lot of money, there's all kinds of stuff that the listener shouldn't be aware of. So any band that can make it two or three or four albums in have got skills well beyond the superficial songwriting, singing, guitar playing, being on stage stuff. It's the ability to weather the, um, the, the domestic stuff, to, to weather the, uh, the stuff that goes on behind the closed doors and deal, deal with personalities, you know, bands that have been together forever. 
don't live in the same apartment together, or and they they have a chemistry that can a mature chemistry that can manage um, their personal growth and personal development. And I think we were talking about the romance. I mean, I remember when I saw the hard to get video, I thought that's a band of brothers right there. Um, that's a real democracy, <laughs> but <laughs> but but when in fact that probably isn't the case because um, it just can't be right. It it just it just can't I think be. it was. I think it was fairly, fairly well captured. We were. We had a great time in New York. Um, that was a. That was a, a fun couple of days.
stage I, I mean I, I didn't realize that you had felt so out of place and awkward but it didn't didn't come across that way at all you looked very comfortable to me I'm glad <laughs> um so when, when the and by the way to use a tennis analogy because I'm, I'm a tennis player but when someone hits a ball at you really hard and fast it's much easier to respond to it than if they hit a high slow ball because instinct just sort of kicks in and you handle it yeah. You keep your backswing short, you respond to it quickly. A high ball, suddenly there's too many variables, like where are your feet, how big is your swing, and you, people mm -hmm. usually screw that ball up. And right. I wonder, you, with Star Club, it's like, if that record had just been recorded quickly and put out quickly, um, I'll bet there would have been a second one. I still think that time was such a corrosive element for, for young men, um, you know, or with no drummer, three, I don't know how, mm -hmm. how that worked, but I just feel like if it had been faster, Things it may be, but, but it didn't happen that way. It could have been faster, but the fact is it didn't. It could have been recorded in our house, but the fact is we didn't like the results that came out of it. So, so I don't want to paper over the fact that we were given the chance to do that. Mm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, a lot of times when, um, when people write bad reviews of books or movies or music, I think they don't understand that that represents that piece of work that you are tearing apart represents two to five years of the lives of people and relationships that were sacrificed, money that was spent, um, time that would that would never be returned. Um, and it represents this moment. And I think I just think that you're right. Even like something like Talk Talk, like you know, Spirit of Eden or Color of Spring. Um, I've read a lot about the recording sessions and it's like, it's like outer space. I mean, it's like, it's so, I don't know how they did what they did. And, and mm. um, the, the architecture that was, that was created into doing that took a lot of work. Yeah, um, and that was unsustainable as well. One out maybe five years that no one ever bought. So, um, right, so right. what's the point? I, um, another, another thing to consider with second albums is that um, I, there's a bunch of songs on there. I think that, I think that, pretty thing. Uh, I think a lovely ditty on the album was written um, maybe six years before Hard to Get was really early. There were not very many of those songs that were written in the in the immediate previous 12 months. So all of a sudden when we were starting to consider the, the second album, we were like, Jesus, we've had 10 years to write the first one and we've got like four months to think about the second one. They, that is a, that's something that you've never considered before when you're a, when you're a new band. It's like, we've got to do the first album. It's got to be great. We've got, oh, I've got a new song. We've just up the, up the game. Now we're even better. Now we have to do it all again and, be, and reinvent ourselves. Well, we don't have anything. So that was a, that, there was some panic that was induced at that point as well. And then when thinking about how far we'd come, how much of a price we paid, 
um, we all kind of sacrificed so much and gave so much and gave up college educations and you know, everything that is sensible we, we gave up and the idea of doing it all again with no guarantee that it was going to be any more successful than this disappointment and that's that's pretty crushing yeah i mean i look back at you know someone sent me a bootleg of rem in like 83 and i looked at the set list and i thought there are songs on this set list that came out eight years later on albums they had the songs for sure why would they throw them away i get that yeah I mean, they, they had the, if, they had the songs um, yeah if they've done a first album or a second album or a third album they're like okay we've got to like hey, what about that what about that thing that you do because those ideas i still remember some of the ideas are floating around um music have you ever played do you play at all no no nothing nothing okay. um if you mess around with a guitar and you have an idea that it never goes away so if they would be like, hey, what about that thing? I've reinvented it now. So um Right. Yeah. Right. But but some some bands don't have the songs. I mean, like, and what you're saying, Eddie Van Halen said what you just said, where he said you have your whole life to make your first album, you have a year to make your second. Mm. Um did you guys not have the songs? I mean, is that what you're saying? Like you didn't have a second album, like you literally well, I, I don't think that we actually got into the we we didn't do we didn't live through the full extent of the marketing of the first album i felt like it kind of um, it fell apart before we even started planning the second album there were some demos made and there were some nice nice tracks that were done but if there were three there there was there wasn't seven mm, it, i see what you're saying we weren't ready yeah um talk to me about mental health tell me where you were at emotionally with all this because i would imagine mm -hmm. Um, I was likening in my in the show that you heard. I I, I referred to it as a divorce, but um, but it really is a loss. Um, however, you want to say yeah. it. Um, I I have um, there's a couple of yeah, I was making some notes just before well we got on the call, and there's a couple of things that I remember. Um, yeah, I can't. I saw strange behaviors in the others, and I I don't know what was going. It's I'll, I'll leave it to them to talk about where their head was at, but I remember. Immediately after we finished the album, where I felt like it was both a release and a relief to get it done, and, and were we happy with it? And it was such a stressful situation, and I certainly didn't feel appreciated. Um, that we all went on vacation to uh, to Portugal, and one of the producers or one of the guys from Tears of Fears came with us as well. It was just like he's the adult. We just hung around a pool for a couple of weeks and wound down. And I remember at one, one evening, I just started crying and I don't know how long I cried for. If to maybe three hours sitting outside with, with, uh, with Ian, I have, I, he asked me the next morning, do you know what you said? And I'm like, I have absolutely no idea what I was talking about or what I was upset about, but I think it must've come from my heart. So, and he never told me, um, and maybe the others can remember, but I don't know. That was um, if if that wasn't an indication of a mental breakdown of some kind, um, uh, I don't know what is. Um, after I left, I remember hanging out with Julian around a, a mutual friend's house, and at one point I was I stood up and I was pointing at him and I was screaming at him. I'm like, "It's your fucking fault! It's your fucking fault!" It was nothing to do with Julian. I have I, again, I have had twenty years to think about why I would have said that to him, and I have no recollection of. No recollection of what I was talking about, what I could have possibly blamed him for. Um, 
so I don't know. I was, um, yeah, it's, so I went off for some reason and wanted to blame people for the way that I was feeling. I take full ownership of it. I hurt, I'm sure I hurt some people's feelings and I apologize for that. Uh, and I got my feel, feelings hurt as well. And I just needed to get out of there. Um, didn't know what to do with myself. Ended up, yeah, the video for Hard to Get You mentioned was directed by, um, by a lady that I had, I ended up marrying and divorcing and having kids with so that the, the director of that video was, is, has been part of my life for a long time now. Uh, I just went to New York and said, I, I just feel like traveling. I've got some money and I want to travel around the world. And I ended up not really wanting to go back to England because it was like that was, and I, and I think that I shut that door um, because I didn't want to, I didn't want to face it. I didn't want to deal with it. And I've little, Owen and Julian have popped up every now and again. I'm not on social media. I was maybe 10 years ago and I had a little, saw them every now and again. And there was not, there was no real connection at that point for us. And um, yeah, I think it's, it took me a long time to get over. I, I tried to get a record deal in New York thinking, well, I did it quickly there. I should be able to do it quickly here. And it was just this slow years long realization that you're not the guy that you that you thought you were so you better like figure out how to become a new guy and so my my late 20s and early 30s was spent trying to and trying to find that and um i don't know I, you know children were a great focus for me but even those are now you've got 20 years to focus on kids and when do you get a chance to focus on yourself so i don't know how other people do it but that's uh that's kind of my journey i went through some some creative projects. I tried producing, I tried writing. I really enjoyed the writing experience. Do you know a band called uh, Gin Blossoms? The, the Gin Blossoms? Yeah. It's weird that you say that. I was going to mention them 10 minutes ago because I, when we were talking about the songs, um, I, I mean, their songwriter died, but yeah. I was, I was going to point out that they were a band that they didn't, I didn't think they had the songs that the yeah. songs seemed to run out when he was gone. So it's weird that you mentioned them. What did you work with them? Yeah, well, yeah, we toured with them, and then uh, I, I really, I liked Robin, uh, the singer. So I did a project with him, my songs, my production, and he sang on them. So, um, so that was a really nice. Um, I'll send you the link after this show. Yeah, that. please. Yeah, I, so I, I really enjoyed applying. That was that was quite cathartic because I, I, up until that point, I felt like I was undervalued as a writer and undervalued as a in my production shops, and for better or worse, being able to demonstrate what I can do and to see how much success or not that did kind of checked that box. And I had no desire to write or produce. I, I think that there are some really nice pieces of work on that. Um, and I think that Robin did a, a, did a fantastic job of interpreting the, the vocals. So I'm proud of that work, but I had no interest in pursuing it after that. It's like, okay, yeah, not my thing. Thrilled that I did it. And, um, so, so yeah, so that was in the early 2000s. So it's been a, so in terms of mental health, it's been a journey of self-discovery after being so, being 33% of a, of a, of a bigger monster. So you have to, yeah, yeah. Of, how do you become a hundred percent of a smaller monster? That, and that right there is, you know, the big human question. Mm. And I think that's something we always work on, but Robin was on the show. He, a really nice guy. Yeah. Um, really nice guy and, uh, and a great singer. I think that, um, you know, it's interesting. I like the idea that you, 
that you went to New York and you knocked on the door of the girl who directed your video and went, remember me? And is that is that kind of how it went down? That's kind of cool. Yeah, it was, uh, I'm, I'm coming to New York in three days. And she goes, but I live with someone. I'm like, yeah, well, that's your problem, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> Jeez, Steve, that's pretty, that's pretty bold. Yeah, well, I don't know. I don't know where I, that, that's, it's horrifying. It's, it, it's, yeah, it is, it's outrageous and disgusting. And, but that's what I said. You asked me what I said. And, yeah. um, that's, and yeah, and he was gone by the time I arrived. So I think, I think that that's an interesting illustration of the, the conceit that, that we had developed, which was, um, I would never do something like that, but I did. And I would never, have, and if it, someone else did that, I think that that's like, that's an, that is an awful thing. And I would have a similar reaction to how you did, but, but that's what I, that that's the facts. Well, so, I think that, I mean, I have similar stories, none as, as um, bold or triumphant as that uh, in terms that you have children out of it. But, but I have similar stories where I look back now and I go, good God, but I'm, I'm speaking from an intellectual perspective now as you are. At the time, your libido is steering everything and it's loud and it's strong and it is intoxicating. No, right? I, I, think it's, I think it's a little, I think it's more sophisticated, uh, complicated than that. I think it's, um, I think that there was a, um, Owen was always the driver of the bus, right? And and I always felt like I was a, um, um, you know, the VP, if you like. Um, and and it seems that in my life, um, I've I've succeeded most in that role, whether it's whether it's with um, uh, the kind of the significant others that I've ended up with, and. Um, which haven't always ended up successfully. I think that there's still some kind of oppression of who am I? Am I going to be second fiddle to this person now? Even even with the in the kind of the work, the marketplace and the work world and the corporate work that I do, it's it's still kind of serving the needs of the client and serving the uh, the needs of the creative director or whatever it is. It's it's still um, second fiddle. And and, and I've I, I've explored many ways to be like who what, what's my what's my fiddle tune i don't know i'm trying, I'm trying to milk the analogy yeah, here but it's I get it. that's why i'm not first fiddle because i um, um I, think I, really, I, I, mean, I, I like writing i wrote a novel for my kids um i've got i like i like creative writing i think that's a really really nice expression for me that's really who i am i've um, done a bunch of books and i, I love doing that because really because because i'm left alone you know most it's it's a stream of consciousness um, and so I get to, I get, I don't have to compromise with anyone. But in the real life, there's this, there was always this, I've always needed Owen and Julian and, and coming into adult life. Maybe I went to America because I needed, who am I going to partner with? I, I didn't want to like not partner with anyone because that's, I had never done that before. So it wasn't, it wasn't libido. Maybe it was like a psychological need to, to partner with someone that mm. had, the drive that maybe that Owen had always been for the for Star Club. Maybe libido gives you the strength to follow through with the intellectual hope of partnering, right? Libido kind of. Yeah, I don't. I don't know. It's the gas. It's the gas in the car. Um, but I think you know my perspective of you. I mean, I've only known you for an hour. Um, but my feeling is that who you are is I. I think you're an artist, and I think you're somebody who needs 
to be expressing yourself creatively, be it in the written word or on the guitar, um, you're a creative person. And I think that's identity enough. And I think that's that's really all one needs to know. And it's sort of like, where will those creative talents um, go? Like maybe you start doing pottery or maybe, who knows, but you're, yeah, you're, you're a creative you, person. You know what, I'm not gonna, yes, I think that they, I think my bigger problem has been to, um, to maintain that identity while um, paying child support and supporting two households um, and living in New York, it's the, the the burden of the obligation of income was put has put a level of stress which unfairly taints the, the you know if I didn't have that I'd be uh, yeah I write and I play guitar and I do pottery but it's uh, yeah that's not my that's not my narrative right now. No, you have a, you exactly you have responsibilities that you have to take care of. Yeah. Um, and so in terms of the mental health stuff, it sounds like that was, it sounds like that was a bit of a breakdown. It sounds like you needed to get away from that whole thing for your own sanity. And it feels like you, even if you didn't acknowledge that to yourself subconsciously, uh, you left, you extricated yourself, right? Yeah, I think um, Owen and Julian mentioned the fact that I was drifting away. I think that like with every little decision of, I'm not gonna go out for a beer with them, I'm gonna, I'm going to go and do this. I'm going to listen to this music and stay in my room. And yeah, there was just like, you move out inch by inch, right? It's, it's... Yeah, yeah. Then, I mean, it's... And then when it, and then the money puts a pressure on, puts the pressure with the, with the, uh, the deal. It's a little bit like not having a divorce. You're staying together because of the kids. The, um, the, we, I was at the end of a rope and money made it difficult. And then there was the thing with Danny and, and Owen was just like, there's my, I, I had longer hair, you know, I'm getting old now, look at this. But I, um, well, at the time I had long hair, but every every morning I would wake up and go, oh, there's another gray one, just like fucking overnight appearing. Like everything in my, every cell in my body was saying, you're not in the right place. You, 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 you gotta get out. And it takes a, a while to, um, to accept that and then to act on it rather than to repress it and i and i don't think that that was healthy i love the album and i and it's interesting to sort of peel it back and sort of learn these things it doesn't it doesn't change how i feel about it it's just interesting um when you heard it sounds like you're not in touch with julian and owen it's, well i'm not on social media now i reached out to julian um uh, uh a few months ago because i'm kind of 50 miles away from him now and i've not heard back but maybe that's because um i don't know yeah, it's it's fine. It's fine. I have no, I'm fine. I have. A, it would be nice to say hi. I don't necessarily think that we'll be hanging out. I've got no hard feelings. I also don't know how much we have in common. So, so, and I don't like social media. Just like so, I can see four hundred people and they and four hundred people can see me. That's social media never did anything good for me. So I stick. Yeah, and Owen, not in touch with Owen either. We had one um, weird interaction on social media like 10 years ago, and I'm like, oh, that's, that's still not working out. Um, so there's no, I'm in no rush. Yeah. Gonna, I've got nothing against the guy, and I've got, I still think he's fabulously smart and creative, and, and was, um, you know, I've been really transparent about the fact that I feel like he was the driving force with what we did when we were in our teenage years. Um, but I think the analogy would be, 
you might have friends that knew you back when you were 16 or 17 or 18 and then knew the girl that you dated at the time and they just think why don't you just get together and kind of sleep together just just you guys seem so great together and so the, that idea to you is like as preposterous as the idea of uh, like getting together and going maybe one more jam session like that was not it's it, yeah it doesn't even occur to me yeah i i know what you mean and and you're i totally get that and for me the romance we talked about an hour ago is like i think of you guys as part of something together um but you're right but that's but that's not really true that was a moment in time um and well i think that the i think the i'm sorry to interrupt but i think that the point of recording i mean let's think about what the word recording means it's like it started off with writing stuff down to record it for posterity and i think that whether we like the album or not. The fact is that it's a recording of where we were at, at the time, as the demos were, and as and so as a as a it's a photograph, and um, and who can argue with that? Whether it's a shame that you don't like the photograph, but there's plenty of photographs I don't like myself, so it's not you know the, it's the, it can just, it can go in the same pile. But um, I'm, I'm not I don't think that I dislike it as much as as. Owen expressed. I wasn't really clear on whether I don't listen to it for pleasure. Um, I think that I'm proud of my work on it, and I'm, I'm glad that it was me. I, I went. I went through a, a. I had an interesting experience in New York. I was doing some composition, music composition for uh, jingles for TV, and I had um, had this amazing experience whereby Time Warner picked up on one of my things and started playing it all over the country. And um, we hustled for ASCAP to see how much money I was owed. And I ended up getting a check for 25, um, well, I thought it was gonna be $25,000, um, but it was actually 25,000 credits. And each credit was like worth um, three and a half dollars. All of a sudden I realized I'm gonna get a, a the check for seventy five. It was seventy four thousand dollars. My first check, but because I own my my own publishing, two weeks later I got another check for the identical amount. Um, three months after that, I got a check for three hundred and fifteen thousand dollars. Two what? weeks after three hundred and fifteen thousand um, dollars. Two weeks after that, I got another check because I own my own publishing for another three hundred and fifteen thousand dollars. In total, I got a at uh, one point seven million dollars from Time Warner Cable. Christmas Eve of 2003, I got a letter from their lawyers saying there's been a terrible admin mistake. You owe everything back apart from $16,000. I mean, I, I, don't, I bought a house upstate, New York. I'd retired my parents. I'd paid $700,000 in taxes. I'd put some money away for the kids for their, I'd pretty much spent it all. And now they wanted it all back. Um, and there's a point to this story and I'm getting to it. Uh, and that was, on, and they said that if they, for every day they wait, I'll be paying prime interest and they're going to get their toughest lawyers on it and they want it back. So that was like years of litigation and ended up just trashing our divorce. And it, it was a complete catastrophe. However, I get to tell that story. And, um, and if that catastrophe was going to happen to anyone, I'm glad that it happened to me because I get to be able to tell you that story where you go, wow, that's fucked up. And I'm like, yeah, but it was kind of fun for a little bit as well. And I think that that's kind of an analogy to the startup thing is that, yeah, it was mental health. It was totally um, 
damaging and scar. I don't think I'll ever recover, um, but I think that I'm grown from it. And I get to tell the story and I get to talk about, talk to you years later about the fact that you liked some recordings that we did. So um, I'm not going to, I'm not going to trash the experience. I'm, gonna, I'm not going to say that it was a joy at the time, but I'm thrilled to have been a part of it. And um, so it's not all, it's not all doom and gloom. I'm, no, no, I'm no. And when you, and when you say never recover, you mean it's in terms of like feeling at peace about it, or do you well, mean? No, no, I'm not, it, yeah, all of that's resolved. Um, what yeah. I mean is, I don't think that you'll ever unshape uh, the shaping that we experience from it. And and I think with I think maybe it's all maybe I'm just being self-centered. All, all of us have these traumatic experiences where we spend the rest of our lives trying to get over that time that our dad said this, or why she left me for yeah. him, or how come I got fired for that? We all, I, it's the same thing. We all have our demons, and we all spend the rest of our lives trying to figure out why we have the problems we have and why we get into the arguments we have with the people that we love. Yeah, and I think that every day the hope is that we get a little better at being a person. Right. I mean, that's, the that's goal. it. That's the goal. Right. Um, and, and we have the, and, and additional to that, we have the um, we have the good fortune to be able to have a, a recorded piece of media that um, that we invested a bunch of time in. So it, it's a rich product and a, and a rich experience and a rich, it's not just a, a selfie, it's a, um, it's, it, it's a lot deeper than that. And I don't think that any picture that I've ever taken in 20 years time, someone will wanna, across the world will wanna have a conversation with me about it. But here we are talking about it. And I think that that is, um, a, a, it's the wonderful thing that music does. We all we love music, and it touches us in a really weird way. And, and yeah, it's a it's a document, right? It's yeah, this kind of right. rich document. That's um, a good, that's a bad word for it. Yeah, yeah, right? I like that. And and just to finish with, I'm I'm I was interested in what you and I were talking about in the sense that you've got you know these young guys recording this album. There was nobody around to say like, hey, Steve, like, are you okay? There was no handler. There was no one checking in on your mental health and saying like, are well, you that, I think that, Yeah, I think that's a good point. Firstly, I think that the, um, the, the it, maybe it was the role of a manager, but we were also giving our manager a little bit of a hard time and, and treat him a little bit like a drama in that if he was, uh, I remember there was once, we, we were quite intolerant. There was one time where Eamon, I think that Owen has mentioned Eamon before, forgot something when we did a gig in Bath. And it was just like, that's a deal breaker, man. That's just like one fucking thing. He, he's always freaking out. Yeah, I mean, God bless him. He was just a young man himself. Uh, he wasn't capable of looking after us and he couldn't believe the shit that we were doing. I'm not talking about outrageous stuff like throwing TVs out of hotel rooms, but we were still kind of not considerate. And it's all, it, we were still just a conceited bunch of teenagers getting signed to a big record deal and, and all of the behaviors that you would typically associate with that situation. Um, and then we had our personal, um, our personal our girlfriends and our respective, but they were, I don't know whether they were there to look at, to help with the band cohesion or to say, you know what, you, maybe you should do stuff on your own. I'm like, I like your songs better than his. Like, there's, it's, there's a, um, it's, that stuff just pulls you apart. And I think that another thing that I give credit to bands that are able to stay together is to kind of keep those voices at bay and say, yeah, thanks for your advice, sweetheart, but you know, we're doing our thing and I'll, I'll see you after work, uh, rather than have those little voices and those um, people take us aside and, and I'm sure the others had, well, the, the others did have it. They, they 
they, they discussed that. Like Owen was talking about how Danny was saying, no, this is what you should be doing. This will be better. Then you won't have to compromise. So he had his, um, he had his people talking to him. And, and I think, I think it's his, his, he made the decision that he felt was right for him. And that's great. I'm proud of him for doing what he thought was the right thing. Um, but, but in terms of a collective, someone looking out for the mental health of all of us together, there was no such person. And I don't think that we would invite them in any way. We were too, it was, I don't know, did you and your friends when you went out boozing at 17 think, we need, really need to have someone making sure that we're on the straight and narrow here. It just <laughs> no. <wasn't> gonna <laughs> <laughs> no, Steve. Uh, right, there you go. Same yeah. thing, except, except we had money and like we were doing it ourselves because we were awesome. And um, so that wouldn't have happened. It just, I don't know, it was self-destructive. It was, it was a, the bomb went off and it was a fuse that, that was probably lit 10 years before. We just didn't know it. Well, if you look at Nirvana, who were operating on a very elite corporate rock level, even though I'm sure that would make them bristle to hear that, but they were, they were on Geffen and they were playing huge, huge um, festivals yeah. and high profile gigs and they're all over MTV and all over Spin and Rolling Stone. They really were operating mm -hmm. musically on a very, from in the music business sense, on a very corporate level. Um, I don't, no one could really stop Kurt Cobain from putting a needle in his arm, you know, in terms of like, you know, I don't know what kind of handlers they were having, but clearly they were enabling more than protecting. Well, I think that there is a, I think that the romance that you have with um, things like the Star Club album, I think that there are, there's a deeper, like a solo struggling artist uh, romantic out there. Um, when I first got to New York, I started doing these um, solo gigs. I wanted to kind of break free of the, I could never sing like Owen could sing, and I could never write like Owen could write, but I was going to do my own thing, and I could probably find my own kind of voice in writing. Um, and it was just at the time that, um, do you know who Jeff Buckley is? Of course. Yeah, he was like, he was doing the cine gigs at the time, and I was on the New York scene as well. And, um, you know, once you see him, like, ah, there goes my guitar playing, I'm not going to touch that for another. I mean, he was, he really made me want to want to quit. But he was so, I, and... The, um, my wife at the time, who had made the video for the Star Club, um, used to do a lot of music videos for Ireland and a bunch of other agents, uh, record labels in New York. So she knew everyone. And we hung out, um, we were taken backstage at Dylan gigs, and we were taken to uh, the Jeff Buckley gigs. And um, heard from the Jeff, from Jeff Buckley's A&R man that he was just so so out there that he would get this massive check that he would just deposit you know in banks where you can you can either go in and pay deposit the bank check yourself or you put it in an envelope and like put it in you open up that thing you're just like ah, oh, someone will fucking deal with that and they'll open up oh my god there's one hundred and fifty thousand dollars being deposited <laughs> by this in an envelope um i think that that level of out there is um we didn't achieve that level of aloofness um but then, you know that's that's major league and Jeff Buckley or uh, Ben Morrison, I've heard some wacky stories about how just like lunatic is or, or, or Dylan. Uh, and I think that we were, if you have any, or Coca Bain, um, anyone who just says, I don't care how much money you pay me, it's not going to corrupt me from doing what I'm doing. I'm still going to 
smoke on stage and I'm still gonna crouch down like this and scream and I don't and I don't care and if you're that uncorruptible your art's probably not going to be corrupted I don't know whether that's going to stop you from putting a needle in your arm but if anyone had any sense of self-preservation um, Jeff Buckley's dead and Hogan's dead but if anyone has any kind of self-preservation sense in them they probably listen to people and as soon as you start listening to people they you know you open the door for suggestion and then your mind starts getting confused so i um so i think you know I, I wasn't put in that situation but that's uh i think to hold on to that kirk Cobain thing or that jeff buckley thing you've got to have the doors and windows firmly shut from from reality i think i think you're right and i think that at least in america i feel like athletes are protected more than musicians are um, maybe, maybe once you're in the NBL, but not not when you're still at college, when no. when every second footballer is dead because of brain injuries. Right, right. No, I think you're right about that. Yeah. But just in terms of when someone is in the majors, NBA, NFL, yeah. um, Major League Baseball, I feel like they are they are being watched closer. Yeah, um, yeah they're a massive. They're a massive. Those individuals are a business unto themselves. Right. The amount of in PR um, that surrounds them, or the amount of people who are employed just to push Jennifer, Jennifer Aniston's name into the the ridiculous newspapers that are on the on the stands every day. People, someone's job is to go. Let's make up another story about. We've got to keep her in high profile. The number of people that are employed for these big stars are they're a business. It's we a business. Yeah. yeah. And I'm not blaming anyone for, you know, Bradley from Sublime or Kurt Cobain or Shannon Hoon from Blind Melon or Jeff Buckley, um, which was a terrible accident. Um, I'm not blaming anybody for that. But I do think that because I would imagine if you were Kurt Cobain's handler, um, that would not be an easy job to have had. Right. Um, and ultimately, people will do what they want. And um, but I but I do think in terms of mental health, um, the music community could do a better job of um of having more outreach and maybe it's improved in the last 25 years i don't really know um i know that for comedians there is um there is a specific therapist in or, or psychologist in la who will only see comedians um she serves yeah. the the comedy community and i think musicians i mean um it sounds like a ploy to me i'm not paying to go and see them they can pay to come and talk to me right right <laughs> exactly exactly but, but you know I think that you are at the risk of sounding like um, you know, models, uh, models, models lives matter too, um, or privileged lives matter too. At the risk of sounding uh, pompous, I think that the, I think that you're right. That it's it looks glamorous, but you know the number of if I told you that uh, a well-known model is actually bulimic, you know, you'll be like, yeah, I hear that story every day, right? We right. need to. Care of these people, and it sounds it sounds self indulgent to say that. And I don't, musicians do have to go through a lot. And if the the riches and the rewards and the social status of we all love music, so we have to love our musicians. And the, the only way we're going to have music is to have musicians and to create a. I don't know what the answer is because ultimately, I think that you do have to flirt with. The dark side, or sell your soul a little bit to uh, to to find that. So I don't know what the answer is, um, 
maybe maybe a few people need to sell their souls and everyone else can get the therapy that they need but um but there's a lot of carcasses on the on um, backstage so to speak um, metaphorically speaking of people who have just been damaged by it people who are um, musicians uh, bass players of i use the word bass player because they're usually the quietest of big bands that you might oh you know the singer you know the lunatic drummer there's the guitarist i don't know the, i don't know the uh the bass player's name for guns and roses um it's it's not pretty i think that there's a lot of people get that so much smoke blown up your ass when there's money <laughs> around and when there's artistry because there's no there's no credentials you don't apply to be a musician by saying this is my education it's all attitude and it's all front and um, most of the time that stuff comes crashing down i don't know what the solution is um i think probably more friends and closer family might be the solution because i don't think that it's a uh, i don't think it's a professional I, I don't know how to categorize it it's just even even starting to try and think about how what that would look like um baffles me yeah and and, what you, and you're correct i mean joe strummer in that song he, he says uh, on the road to rock and roll there's a lot of wreckage in the ravine um, and I think that's exactly what you just said, where it's sort of like, I, I don't know what the solution is. In the old days, when there, when it was like, these were the labels that ran things, um, they probably could have had a psychologist um, on retainer. That would have been probably a nice thing. Maybe they did. Um, but now that the, the, the game has changed so much um, and labels are not as needed as they used to be, or they're smaller, or you know they don't have the money they used to have, or I don't know what it is. The game has changed. Um, I don't even well, know if that's maybe, a... maybe I just wasn't cut out for it. Uh, and maybe it was my responsibility to look after myself and, I, and afterwards just go, wow, that was screwed up. And I, I should talk through that. So I don't think that it's an industry. I think business is business. And I'm a grown up now. And I think that you, if you're transparent with people, it, it's their responsibility as, a, as an adult to, to navigate that. We're just doing business. They're not, they're not our parents. Um, yeah. So yeah. We really need to. Uh, Kind of take ownership of that and and yeah but a lot of them a lot of them are kids i mean a lot of them like you know we forget the beatles made all their albums before they were 30 right i mean they were they were adults but i mean a lot like a lot of the like nirvana those guys were pretty young guns and roses were uh, maybe they weren't that young but um we make terrible decisions in our early 20s and uh you I think know that, i think the music is bad but i think that the acting is even worse i was do, doing a video film shoot years ago i was doing location sound and so my mics were all over the place um again lovely you know lovely is remote light uh, mics and there was one um documentary we were making and we had this kid mic'd up and in between takes the parent would come and berate the kid for not being emotional enough and i recorded it at one point and it was i was the new dad so i was super sensitive to it so i recorded the bullshit that i was hearing and I wanted to be the big guy. I couldn't quite put it off, but I wanted to be the big guy and say, um, if you don't stop this, I'm walking off set. But I, I needed to continue to work. Um, I brought it up to the director and I played the audio to him. Um, but you know, the damage, the damage is being done to this little kid right now, but she was saying, you're not going to watch that TV show. They let you cry. I was horrified. Um, we were in a much better position as 20, 21, 22 year olds having 
too much weed to know what to do with rather than an eight-year-old girl that's being threatened with not being able to watch Teletubbies when she gets home if she, if she doesn't cry. So, um, but the abuse is there and we, I certainly can't complain compared to the levels that I think, I think young girls get when they go modeling or, or actors and actresses before they're, even 18 is, sounds young, but yeah, I mean, those, that's when laws start switching over, right? Right, that's right. That's right. Um, yeah, I saw Emma Raducanu win the U.S. Open, and she's 18 years old, and and she spoke like a 35 year old. She was so poised and so brilliant. And um, but some people have that, and some people don't. And I think um, that that is that's what makes bands, and yeah, that's what that's the dimension that that's the secret sauce to make people like super superstars is yes you've got to have an amount of talent but you've also got to be able to navigate that yeah and have that poise um well look man i love this art club album i'm really glad that you reached out and um i'm glad to meet you i'm glad to talk to you i've always enjoyed your work um i always thought you look great on stage i think you're a great guitar player you're a lovely guy i'm i'm glad that we've connected and and uh it's a joy to talk to you man it, it, it was a, it was a pleasure thank you for your for your time thank you for your passion and music and um i'll send you a couple of links after this and yeah it was it was a good time thanks for thanks for having me French of Star Club, or formerly of Star Club. Uh, nice guy. I really enjoyed that. And I don't know, do I feel better about, not better, but do I have more clarity about why Star Club uh, never made it past one album? Yeah, I guess I do. I do. Um, I'm sort of reconciling the truth of the matter with my own romantic notions about the band. When I was 23 and I listened to them and I thought, this band is going to take over the world. Um, they took over my world and, uh, and they're still a very big part of it, but uh, not on a large scale, which I think is a shame. Um, I have proposed to Steve an idea that Owen proposed to me, which is what if all three of the guys get together, Julian, Owen, and Steve – and talk about the great times that they had. Because Star Club, uh, for all of the post-mortem we've done on the dark side, they had some really exultant highs. And these guys knew each other since they were 11. And I thought it'd be fun. Um, it's Owen's idea. But I thought it'd be really fun to have them in the same Zoom room <laughs> uh, during an episode of our podcast. And uh, just to hear them... Talk about the good stuff. So hopefully that will happen. Uh, get the album. Find it. It's great. It has, for my money, the best song of the 90s on it with Hard to Get. Uh, Stereo Embers, the podcast, is available on all podcast platforms. Go to the one that you use. Subscribe. Tell a friend. Rate and review. Blah, blah, blah. Follow me on Twitter at Embers Editor. Follow me on Instagram at Embers Podcast. Oh, just email me if you have to. Editor 
at StereoEmbersMagazine.com. Don't forget Bombshell Radio can be found at BombshellRadio.com. Go there and find out what makes our radio station tick. Let's close the show with a longer listen to Hard to Get by Star Club. Enjoy it, and I'll see you next time right here on Stereo Embers, the podcast only on Bombshell Radio. Man, man.